0: by just reading the chapter. So if you have your Bible or device and you want to open up to Psalm 27, we're just going to let that kind of begin, seeing where God wants to lead us this morning. So Psalm chapter 27, I'm reading out of the NIV 1984, so yours may have a couple different words, but all still the same. So this is what David wrote. He said, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?' The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. It says, One thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek, that, the, that I may dwell. In the house of the Lord, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surrounded me at his tabernacle. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice. When I call, O Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. As I read those verses that David wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's about four things that jumped out to me. Three of them we're just going to quickly touch upon. And then the fourth one is the one that I want to focus on mostly this morning. But the first thing that jumps out to me is this idea that God protects me. Okay, God protects me. In verse 1, it talks about this idea that I'm not afraid because God is my light. He is my stronghold. In verses 2 and 3, it says, Even when the enemy comes at me, I will not be afraid because... God is with me. In verse 5, it says, God will protect me. He's going to be the one to keep me safe. And even in verse 12, there's this prayer saying, please, God, will you continue to protect me? Whatever was going on in David's life at that exact moment, there must have been some sort of darkness. There must have been some sort of danger, some sort of enemies that were closing in upon him. And yet David knows, God, you are the one. You are the one that continually protects me. Now, to be honest, since we've been reading the Psalms this summer, we've read this before, and we've looked at this in depth already, this idea that God is my refuge. And it was true in the time of David, and it continues to be true for us today, that God's going to protect us against those who are not for us. So that's the first thing that jumps out. The second thing is this, that God is with me. All right. God is with me. In verse seven, you hear David writing, you hear me when I call, you give me mercy. In verse nine, he says, don't turn from me or don't reject me because you are my helper. In verse 10, he even says, even when no one else does, God, you will receive me. And in verse 13, he says, I will see the goodness of the Lord. Like again, we've seen many of these things mentioned before. This idea that God is the one who listens to us. He is our savior. He is our helper. And Nick last week had us thinking about the goodness of God with this enduring love that is forever. And so we should continue calling out to him. We should continue to look for his goodness and he will be the one to help us. And he is still the savior that every single one of us needs. God is with us. Which leads me to the third thing that just kind of jumps out. There's this idea that there are responses to God. Okay, So many of our texts that we've read, there's been praising of God, and this is who you are, this is what you do. And so there is a response that I'm going to choose to do. And so in verse six, it talks about, I'm going to sacrifice to him with shouts of joy. I'm going to sing, I'm going to make music to him. Like that's one of the things that as I just understand who God is, it's one of my responses. In verse 11, he says, teach me your way, teach me your way, lead me. This idea that I want to continue to learn. I want to follow after wherever you are leading me. And then in verse 14, at the very end, it simply said, I will wait for God. Like that's a response. God, I'm not going to do things on my own. I am going to listen and I will wait upon you. And so just as so many of the Psalms that we've read already, there are responses to who God is and what he does within Psalm 27, praising and following. Like that's still what you and I are called to do today. And so all that, again, doesn't just need to be pushed to the side, but we've looked at those in depth. This fourth point is one that we haven't yet, and so that's the one that we're focusing on today. And so this is what jumps out to me today, is that God is beautiful. God is beautiful. And beautiful, beauty, that definition is the idea that it's a quality that is present in a thing or a person, and it gives intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. And so as we're talking about this idea of beauty this morning, I'm going to be honest with you that this sermon is aimed more at your heart. It's aimed more at the emotions that are caused by who God is in all of his beauty, more than just learning some new facts. Like, I would love it if you walked out of these doors this morning more in awe of who he is, and not just because of some of the words that maybe I say, but because you have gotten another glimpse of who God is. You've gotten a glimpse of the beauty of God this word beauty, like I was kind of meditating on this week, thinking about it. Where do I see it in other places? And, and there's, it's this word that we do use to describe a lot of other things. For instance, a lot of people think of nature in some way. Like maybe you have been outside late in the evening and you've watched the colors of the sky as the sun continues to set. And however long you have, you just sit there and you're in awe of just what God has painted because it's just beautiful Or maybe, you know, thinking about nature, you've done one of those three or five or ten mile hikes up a mountain, and when you get to the top, you just look in every which direction, and it just takes your breath away, not because you're so high above the oxygen, but like you're looking at everything, and it's incredible what God has made. There's no other word other than just this is beautiful. Or maybe you're not a mountain person and so you go and sit just on the beach underneath your umbrella and you just watch wave after wave after wave come in and you're just at peace. Maybe it's not even those things. You're one that just loves to watch different animals and how they interact with each other or how God has created every single one. Or maybe it's not animals, but it's flowers. And so you're walking along and seeing how similar they are and yet how uniquely different each and every one of them is. And you just like take a step back and you're like, this is beautiful. Or maybe it's even after the storm, you're looking for that rainbow. Or maybe you're not even looking for it, but it catches your eye and you have to look because it's beauty beauty. And even as I mention all those things, maybe there's these pictures that pop up into your mind, and maybe you've gone there just for a moment. And my question is, as you picture it, do you feel it? Like, do you feel just the emotions that come as you get to experience beauty? Or maybe it's not nature at all. Maybe it's a boy or a girl. All right, and so maybe there's something just about their hair or that smile, or maybe there's a dimple there, maybe there's a sparkle in their eye, maybe there's muscles that you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing, maybe there's some kind of figure, maybe there's like, you know what, it really is this personality. Like when you're around them, like the way that they make you feel, like you just feel taller, you feel like you're important, you feel accepted, and as you just look at this person, you're like, they are beautiful. or maybe you even think back to or think forward to that day that you're gonna walk down an aisle, maybe, and so there's that person at the front or the person at the back, and you're just like, wow, beauty. It's something that we describe with that word. Or maybe it's not just a boy or girl in that kind of setting, but it's a child. You know what? Mom, you have carried this child for about nine months, and then he or she appears, and man, you look at him or her, and nothing but beauty. It doesn't even matter what they're covered with, like how beautiful is this child. And that's how often we refer to, man, this child is cute. This child is beautiful. Again, that word that we use. Or maybe it has nothing to do with people. Maybe it's a project that you're working on. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's out in the garage. Maybe it's in one of the rooms and you're painting or whatever it is. You're putting this thing together and when you step back, when it is all finished and you look at it, it's simply a thing of beauty. Like all the work and time and effort that you've put into this and just what has come out of it. And you just kind of stop and it takes your breath away. Like you feel this pride of just look what the outcome is and, and there's beauty. Or maybe it's a car. Like you just look at this car as you're driving by. You weren't even looking for it, but you're like, man, look at those wheels or this sleek design. Or if you want to sound technical, you're like, look at the A-line the a or the belt line or the fastback or the power dome or the shoulder or the flitzer. Those things make this thing just beautiful. Yeah, I knew none of those words. They're all online. So anyway, maybe you do know what they are. But like this car can be absolutely Beautiful. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's a dance. And you've gone and like the music and the movements that someone has put to that and it's just pulled off to perfection and you just sit there and go, There's no way I could do that. You're like, that's beautiful. Or maybe it's a play, a drama, a skit that has been performed greatly. And at the end, you're like, that was beautiful. Or maybe it's even a sports play. that You know, the quarterback throws it to the wide receiver. He barely gets his toes down in the end zone. And you're screaming. You're like, that was beautiful. You're like, you know, someone else is like, how is that beautiful? But like, you are, it was beautiful. These things that we talk about, just amazingly perfect. Or maybe you've even been so hungry that that hamburger simply looks beautiful. Uh, or you're so thirsty, it's a glass of water, or whatever. But man, there is beauty in that because it meets this need that we have. Maybe it has nothing to do with our eyes whatsoever, but maybe music or poetry and the rhythm or the lyrics and you feel different by the end of the piece. Or maybe it's laughter. Maybe amongst just a really difficult time, this heartache, there's laughter and you're like, how beautiful that was. And maybe it's not even in a moment, but like someone's sound of laughter, like just one person, you're like, the way they laugh just makes me smile all the time. And there is beauty in that. Or even just a memory that you relive and in your mind, beauty. There's a good chance that, again, I listed off a bunch of those things right there, and maybe you placed yourself because you connect with one or two or five of those things, and in that moment, it caused you to feel just a little bit of peace or a little bit of excitement or a little bit of hope. Man, those are just a few things that we talk about being beautiful, but there's even things in the Word of God that are described as beautiful. Like one thing that we come across over and over, there's a lot of these passages about the glory of God and how the heavens declare it. The whole earth is filled with it. And the song about so am I just nature after nature after nature, giving praise to God. And so I will too. Man, it is filled with beauty. God made it with beauty and we should stop and look at it. In fact, that was one of the points uh, that Nick preached on at the men's retreat, this idea about beauty and how at the end of Every day that God created something, and in Genesis chapter 1, he looks and he says that it is good. When the Greeks took the original Hebrew and made it into their Greek language, the word that they used also can mean beautiful. He looks, it is good, it is beautiful, the earth, it is filled with God's beauty. The Bible also talks about how his followers will be beautiful. In fact, one of the scriptures, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, those who bring the good news of Jesus, just like a runner from war was bringing good news, they're able to share life with those who need it. Oh, how beautiful is that person? In fact, there are actual people described as beautiful or good looking. Some of these names you might know, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Joseph, Moses, Saul, David, Abigail, Bathsheba, three of David's kids in Tamar, Absalom, Adonijah, his nurse, Abishag, Queen Vashti, Esther, Job's daughters, the woman in the book of Song of Solomon, Daniel, the Jewish men who were chosen for training in Babylon. All of these people are described as beautiful or good looking. And yet, even with all of these things, the beauty of the world fades. The beauty of the world fades, but God's beauty is eternal. And God is so beautiful. And the verse I want to camp out for, for the rest of the sermon, is verse 4 in chapter 27. That simply says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Like David says, one thing, I have a soul focus. I'm not distracted. I am not multitasking. This is what I'm looking at. I wonder, are you a good multitasker? Like, some of you would be like, yes. Some of you would think you are, but maybe you're not. Some of you are like, yep, absolutely not. And let me ask this even if you're a good multitasker, when has it come back to bite you? Like, have you left the sprinklers on before? You know, did your chicken end up being burnt in the oven because something else took your, you know, focus off of that? Maybe you got your homework done, but it didn't end up in the backpack. Maybe because you were multitasking at the moment, you got into a car accident. Hopefully not, but maybe you've left a child at school and you have to go pick them up later on. Here's the thing. With all this idea of multitasking, whatever it is at the moment doesn't get your full attention. I want you to think about even when you're in the midst of a conversation with someone, Like you can tell if you have their full attention or not, or if they're thinking about other things or their attention is on other things at that moment. But David, in this moment, in this Psalm, he says to God, I'm not distracted. You have my full attention and I have one request. I have one request. If you had one request that you could offer up to God, what would it be? Would it be something about peace? God, like I would really like peace in this situation in my life that just continues to kind of weigh upon me. And man, I would love that. Or maybe peace in my family. I'm watching these things go on and and that would be my request to God. Or maybe it has something to do with health. Maybe it's for you or someone else that you know, but God, we've been struggling with this and I would really love for whoever it is to be able to be healthier. Maybe it's just a, a quick sickness, but you'd love to get through that quickly. And that would be your request to God at the moment. Maybe it has something to do with safety on a trip that you're going on or maybe in your job or maybe your next step of life. And it's like, God, would you just be with me? Would you provide safety in this moment? Maybe if we're talking jobs, it's a promotion. God, I'd really love to take that next step, whatever it looks like, like I'm ready for something more. Would that be your one request? Maybe it has to do with money. God, like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this month. And if you would just provide in this area, like, that would help out. Or maybe it's not just providing, but I'd really love to be able to go on vacation or take my kids to this, or I'd love this house or this car, whatever it is. Like, would that be your request? And David says, I have one request. I want to see you. My request is that I want to be with you. And so I will seek you. And as I do, I will reflect on who you are as I simply sit in your presence. And that kind of intimacy, that kind of communion with God, it brings security from all the external dangers. Like it goes back to that very first point that we talked about. You know what? God's gonna protect me. The reason that David can say that is, man, I'm simply in the presence of God. And none of that matters because I know that I'm in his hand. Such communion with God is enough to satisfy our souls. Because that's what you and I are created for, to be with him. Those words, I want to be with you. Like sometimes we sing those in songs, saying those towards God, I want to be with you. But I think it's also important to remember that the glory of God, the beauty of God can sometimes be overwhelming. Like when we understand who he is. When you look back in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they are all on the bottom of the mountain and God is there in these clouds and this storm and they're terrified. They tell Moses, um, we want you to go up the mountain for us because we are scared when they understand who God is and the bigness of who he is is when Moses is standing, you know, right next to God and God passes by him and he sees his backside. His face is then glowing. The beauty, the glory of God. You know what? Isaiah, he's standing right before God. And in this moment, he says, man, I am a man of unclean lips. That's his response when he understands who God is. Or even at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter one, John is there. He turns around. John, who has been with Jesus for three years, uh, following him around, sees Jesus in his new form and just immediately falls down because of who Jesus is. You see, knowing the true God, it can be humbling because we see him for who he fully is and who we are. But at the same time, being with God can also be very, very comforting. And David says, God, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, this place that you are present. And so as he's writing this, he's thinking about the tabernacle because the Jews knew that God was present here. Now, what is this tabernacle? Where does God being here? It all starts from this point when the, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt. Like if you were to go back there and after the 10th uh, plague and, and Pharaoh's like, get out of here, the people begin. And when they leave the very first city, they are led by God in this pillar of cloud by day. And at night there is this pillar of fire and wherever it goes, the people follow after him. It stays at the front of Israel the entire time time except once. There's one time that it moves, and it's when the Israelites are stuck between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh is coming upon them. And so, in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verse 19, we read this. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front And it stood behind them coming between the enemies or the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Like even in this moment, when God in this pillar of cloud and fire moves, it is still there in the presence of his people. It is watching out for him. And the people could tell God is there. And the presence of God was a beautiful thing to the Israelites. And they continued following after him. And even Moses is given instructions to build this tabernacle, this place of worship. It's kind of like a church on wheels, except there were also sacrifices that were being offered there. So it's not exactly the same. But listen to what Moses wrote about when the tabernacle is finished to the exact design that God had given him. The last words in the book of Exodus, it's in chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day that it lifted And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. And you need to know that once the Israelites entered into the promised land about 40 years later, we don't see that pillar of cloud and fire anymore, but it doesn't mean that God's presence wasn't there. In fact, now it's sitting on what's called the mercy seat or kind of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which is still in the innermost place of the tabernacle. And many years later, when Solomon was ruling, they built the temple. And so now it becomes known as this house of God. And there's something special about being able to be simply in the presence of God. We read about Hannah with her husband, Elkanah, coming faithfully every year to dwell there, to pray there so that God would listen. After Jesus ascends, like many years later, Luke tells us that the disciples, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And what David says is, one thing that I ask is that I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where I want to be. And in today's world, we know that God's spirit is within his followers. And so, yes, God dwells within this building, but he's also everywhere outside this building as well. And so really the special part of this place is all of us coming together. That's what makes this place special that we come to encourage, we come to challenge, we come to love each other in the grace and the truth of God. And that's why church is so much more than just a sermon or watching at home. It's still true that we can be in his presence, we can long to be in his presence. Have you had those quiet times with God, but at the end, you're able just to take a breath that he met you there? Or maybe there's those God moments or those times that your eyes are open to his beauty and it renews your hope and your strength. And by the way, we often think about this idea of longing to be with him. We think about it with eternity, that we look forward to the day that there will be absolutely no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death. And we'll see him in all of his beauty with your own eyes. And even as I mention those words, can you feel it? Can you feel what that will be like? Not just to get a glimpse of him or even his beauty surrounded by sin in this world, but you will see all of him. You know what, this psalm got me to thinking back about a song that that I'd heard and it ended up being like older than I thought. Maybe you've been there before too. You're like, hey, that was like two years ago and it's like 30, okay? So like when I went back, 1995, Matt Redman released a song called Better Is One Day. We used to sing it in churches a whole lot. But in that, the lyrics say this, one thing I ask and I would seek to see your beauty, to find you in the place your glory dwells. That sounds pretty familiar with what we just read. But then there's some other words in that song that comes straight out of Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2 and verse 10. And here's the lyrics of the song. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul longs. It even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied within your presence. And so I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. And better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. Oh, the beauty of God that my heart cries out just to be able to see you and to be with you. And in those moments, I'm completely satisfied. Even if it's only for a moment, to be with you is better than anything else. So back in Psalm chapter 27 that we've looked at today, verse eight, depending on your translation, it'll either tell you that God says to my heart, hey, I should seek your face. Or my heart says I should seek your face. And so I will seek you. I will seek your face, Lord. God is beautiful. And I want you to think about the beauty of him that you see right now. I want you to imagine what your eyes will see one day and not just the physical qualities, but think about his goodness and his love and his power and his joy, his compassion and his faithfulness and his justice. Man, being in his presence, you see nothing but beauty. So actually, because we rush off so often and go to the next thing, we're actually gonna take just a moment. I'm gonna give you one minute. And what I simply want you to do is close your eyes and be in the beauty of God, like be in the presence of him. And so I don't even know what that means that your mind is looking at, but I want you simply to be with him for this next minute and just take in the beauty of him. So let's take a minute to do that right now. to be honest, I'd love to be able to give you more time to do that. Maybe it's something you should do when you go home, but like, man, we just don't spend too much time just with him, his presence and his beauty, but God is beauty, but he also makes things beautiful too. And I think about the fact that he makes you and I beautiful. Again, I'm reminded of a song called Beautiful Things, where it just says that you make beautiful things out of us. You make me new. And as a follower of Christ, God makes you beautiful he takes that which is broken that which is worn out those that are rebellious or those that are prideful those that have been hurting those who have been just simply cast to the side and it gives them life and he makes us beautiful how does he do that through this other thing that sometimes we call beauty which sounds interesting but maybe you've heard this phrase the beauty of the cross The beauty of the cross, the cross was this executioner's tool used to cause someone to die in the worst of ways. Jesus, he was verbally mocked. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was humiliated in front of everyone, even though he did absolutely nothing wrong. It was an awful scene. But beauty comes through what it gives to us, that we have access to God, that we were gifted with this ability to dwell with God in all of his beauty forever. Let's not reject that. Let's not take that for granted. And so if you want to know more about what it means to accept that gift, if you want someone to pray alongside of you right now, this morning as we're singing this next song, I'd encourage you to make your way to the decision point. And for the rest of us, let us sing, let us worship, and as the body of Christ, let us be fully in the midst of the beauty of God. So let's stand and sing